But uh, so I want to talk to you today about sex and stewardship before we get into the Word of God. I mean, before we get into the baby dedication. And the reason I want to talk to you about this is because in this nation, I'll just ask you, what is the number one problem we have right now? We worship sex in this nation like there is nobody's business. If it's not money, we are controlled by sex and sexuality. All you need to do is turn on your television, turn on your news, and it is there. Walk down the street, it is everywhere. And we need a biblical understanding of this subject. Because I'm going to tell you something, it's tied a lot more into what you think It's tied into your relationship with God far more than you could ever imagine today. So I want to pray, and I'm going to be a, hang tight, Meredith's worth it, okay? All you that came, Meredith's worth it. But your soul's worth it today, too. Your soul is worth it. And your soul is worth being in eternity. And I'm going to tell you what, this is linked to your soul. To Some of the questions I have today, this this subject is so serious, it's linked to your eternity and my eternity. And everybody, I, I've made no bones. I've struggled before uh, uh, Christ and even after Christ. I struggled with this very thing. So I'm not here casting stones at one person. Last Sunday was the, was the Sunday where churches celebrate life. The life Sunday where we celebrate life and, 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 and life giving. And, and, uh, and so I'm a week behind, but we're going to talk about this subject today. So Father... We love you. We thank you, God, for this beautiful crowd. We thank you for the people that are here. God, we're thankful for Caleb and Amber, God, and, and Lord, the baby dedication that is uh, uh, about to take place here, God. And uh, you know I wrestled in this topic and thinking, man, uh, is, is this what you bring on a baby dedication Sunday, God? And, but, I, but I think it is. I think it is. And I think it's, it's quite fitting. And, and, and there's things here that, uh, that are for Caleb and Amber and, and dire for Meredith's future. And so, Father, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives through the Word of God today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. You can't go through the New Testament or the Old, but especially the New Testament, without this subject popping up over and over and over and over again. Almost in every, uh, almost in every uh, book of the Bible, God deals with the subject of sex over and over again. He deals with sexual immorality over and over and over again. And so today I'm praying that we'll understand the mind of God in this subject. Not Hollywood, not some professor you had in college seminary, or college, uh, probably seminary too, but college uh, professor somewhere. And I'm praying that today we're going to learn to surrender our sex to God uh, and, and, and to God the way that God would expect it to be. And so I want to connect this idea of life. With sex, the idea of life with sex today, because uh, what God has set before us is life and death, right? And He told us to choose life. Well, in our nation today, we are choosing death. If you look at the unborn babies that we that we we are killing uh, before they can ever be born into this world, it is uh, you talk about the Holocaust. It makes the Holocaust look like child's play at what we've done uh, to life in this nation. Not only life out of the womb, but what we're doing to our elderly and different. 
and, and now with euthanasia and all the type things that we're doing in this nation that we di- discount life. Let me share, a, 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 because a lot of this, I, I, I'll be honest, I gleaned a lot of this, and I want to share a, a, one, one pastor that I listened to gave a great example of kind of where we're going today. And he said when he was uh, younger, when he was starting a family, uh, that, that he had just had a son, and he bought this like 1969. He loved motorcycles. He bought this 1969 Harley Davidson or some type bike back then. Guys will know that. But, uh, but, but uh, uh, maybe we got some female Harley riders. I don't know. But, but Harley anyway. And so they, he said that this bike, what was really unusual about this bike is that whenever you bring it, in, you drive it and bring it back in the garage, that they were known for leaking uh, oil on, onto the uh, onto the. Uh, whatever, the carport or the garage that you're into. So, so he knew that. So every time he'd come back into the garage, he would know that he would have something down and he would get the oil that was leaking out of the bike. And he said he would pour it back into the bike after a period of time, back into the oil uh, pan. But what he didn't know was that it not only does those, do those Harleys often leak uh, oil, Dennis, but they often leak transmission oil too. And so what he didn't realize that he... One day he was out riding the bike and all of a sudden he heard this grinding noise that sounded horrible, like metal against metal. And he said it was horrible. And so his first thought was, man, what is going on here? He thought, I've got a motor problem. The motor is messed up. But he, and so he, he drove it. All of a sudden it's smoking. Everything's coming out of it. When he gets home, he's thinking, I'm going to have to tear the motor down because that's the problem. But lo and behold, after he started noticing something, he started noticing that it was actually the transmission smoking so he opened up where you put the transmission fluid in and lo and behold it was bone dry so the problem was not the motor the problem the root problem of the of the bike was the transmission and that's what we've got in the nation when we talk about sex we say if the church would just address sex and if the church would just stand up against abortion and if the church would just stand up and be a voice then we would stop the problem but folks that's just the motor we're not getting to the problem of the transmission and the problem of the transmission is far for more in depth it's far more the real problem and the real problem of this problem is really has to do with the, with the authority uh, with, with who has the ultimate authority in our lives that's the root pro- that's the transmission who actually has the authority in your life the issue is, is isn't the motor but it's the transmission let me put something on the screen look at this 83% of all abortions in the united states come from a big word called fornication 83% of those who receive abortions are unmarried. Under 2% of those come from rape and incest. Now the reason we, that, that big word called fornication is a strange word that we don't hear anymore. And you know why we don't hear that word anymore? Because media and because television and because the world and because educators and entertainment has changed this to a new word. And it's not called fornication. It's called recreation. Recreational sex. That's what we have today. No longer fornication, but recreation. In other words, you can have sex anytime, anywhere you want to. 
And that's the new word of the day. That's the new word that we've been fed by our media, by television. But let me give you the definition of recreational sex. Recreational sex means any sex outside of the covenant of marriage that we participate in to experience enjoyment and pleasure. And that right there is one of the reasons that we are choosing death over life now. Is because we have a, that's the transmission. We uh, are this, uh, no, I'm going to show you the transmission. That's the motor. That's one of the results. But that's one of the big results of why we're doing it is because we've allowed this recreational sex. Now we have a big problem and it's caused us now that we, because we're doing this and we're not going to stop doing that. So now we've got to choose what to do with it. Uh oh, we're going to choose death rather than life. I'm just going to be honest today. But that's not the root. That's not the transmission. Are you ready for the transmission? You ready for the real root of the problem? The real root issue is the Word of God and its authority over your life. Does God have sovereign rule over your sexuality? This is the real problem. You want to get to the problem? It's not the church standing up and talking about sex. It's, the tr- it's this. Does this book have authority over your sexuality? And now we're beginning to understand why 83% of all abortions happen. Because it's not the motor, it's the transmission. Let me go to Romans 12 and I want you to look at this with me. The Bible says this, Paul wrote this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, Paul says you're going to have to test some things. We haven't been doing too good of testing things in this nation. So we've been conformed to everything. Paul says you're to test some things. No, you test what your college, so-called wise college professor now tells you. You test what, you're, what, you're, what, what this person and what that person tells you. You begin to test it because he says, he says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect by God. So here's what Paul says. He says the whole world is trying to mold you. The whole education system is trying to mold you. The whole college system is trying to mold your sexual orientation and your children's sexual orientation. They want everybody to think the same. They want everybody to do the same things. They want everybody to have recreational this and recreational that. And Paul stands up in the midst of this and says, don't be molded to what they tell you. No, don't be molded to what the world tells you. Don't be molded to what college tells you. Don't be molded, young people, to what your school tells you. Don't be molded to that. You be molded to this. You test what they tell you against this, and you find out what is the will of God, not the will of a professor, not the will of this person or that person. You find out what God says and ask God the question of what does He say the will of God. Ask, let me ask you a question that's going to determine not only your life and where it goes from here, but also maybe your eternity, your eternal life. And here it goes. Let me ask you a question. Does God have the right to tell you what to do with your sexuality? No, don't answer so quick as you go home tonight and struggle with porn. Don't answer so quick. Does God 
have the right to tell you what to do with your sexuality? Does anybody have the right to tell you what to do with your sexuality? If you and the Bible disagree, who wins? Young person, if you and the Bible disagree, who wins? If you and the Bible disagree about what, sex, what the Bible says about sex, who wins? Who wins? Do you win or does God win? Who has the authority in your life? This is the root problem of this whole issue. Who, who, do you decide what is right concerning this or does, or does the Bible have the authority? Does God have the last say in your life about your sexuality? If you and the Bible disagree, who wins? Turn, uh, let me turn to the most hated passage in the Bible. Anybody know it? Romans 1. The most, the most hated passage in the Bible. And I want to highlight some words in, the, in this passage of the Bible. And I want you to look at them. There's some words highlighted on purpose in here. Listen at Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God. Right there are some of you who already hate this passage of Scripture. We don't even get three words into it. And you already hate it. Because you don't want a God that has wrath. But it's okay for you to have wrath. It's okay for the Democrats to have wrath and the Republicans to have wrath, but it's not okay for God to have wrath. But it is okay for God to have wrath. And He does have wrath against things that are unjust. Just like you and I. If if my granddaughter, my new granddaughter, got raped, murdered, and abused, I tell you what, I'd be having some wrath. So God, when He sees things going on that are against His Word, He, he has some wrath going on against it when things are done to His children, when things are done not according to His Word. And so, of course, God has wrath, just like, of course, we have wrath, right? Now listen, Romans 1.18, says, He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness, all unrighteousness, who suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. We went on a family trip recently. We went to Arizona, Mom. We went to this place called the Outer, the outer base, or Basin, something, Inner Basin, not Outer, Inner. And the most beautiful place I may have ever been, one of. Went to Colorado, one of the beautiful Rockies, the mountains. I know you guys go to Colorado, man, some of the most gorgeous places. I mean, people that don't even go to God want to go to, don't even know God, want to go to some of these places because they say, I actually feel closer to God, the God they don't even believe. Right? We hear that because the Bible tells us that He has revealed Himself through nature so that people are without excuse that there is a God. If you would just slow down, take time and look around you, you would see that. He goes on to say, For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, like all of our college professors today, claiming to be wise. The whole education system today seems to think they are wise, but But God calls them out and says, no, you are claiming to be wise, but yet you're fools. You just claim to be wise. Doesn't mean you're wise. And listen to what he goes on to say. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, 
to dishonor their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, uh, the Bible says, and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them over to debased minds to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We're living in a time of forced approval. Celebrate. You're going to celebrate what I do. Not only do you have to agree with me, but you have to celebrate it and you have to like it. You have to agree with me that it's right. And that's the type of of day and age that we are in where you tell me what I'm right, that I'm right in what I'm doing. And Romans 1 is telling us when men don't like the Word of God, when they don't like this ruling over them, you know what they do? They suppress it. They suppress it. You know what that's like? They, 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 they give their hearts, and the next thing they do, they give their hearts over to lust. That sex runs rampant, just like it's running rampant in our day and in our time today. And then they're t- tempted to deny life and take death instead. Let me give you three points that we're going to cover this morning. We're going to cover, number one, what does the Bible mean when it says they suppress truth? Number two, what are the boundaries when it comes to sex? And number three, how do I accept God's authority and boundaries in my life when it comes to sexuality? So let's start real quick with suppressing the truth. As I said, the educational system has told us truth is what? Subjective and not objective. Okay, you want to know what that... Stay with me. This is about as important of a message as you're going to hear. Okay? Okay? This is what our education system has done to us and to your children. It has told you that truth is subjective and not objective. Let me tell you what that means. And you'll get it because we all live here. Truth is based or subjective means truth is based or influenced by personal feelings, taste, or opinions. What that means is you might have a different truth from me because that's how you feel. And what I feel is absolute truth. And that's what we've told people. And see how this is working now? I feel like I'm a woman. No, you laugh. There are people really struggling with this today. It's a real problem. I feel. This is absolutely truth. I feel like I'm a woman in a man's body. This is what we've told people. That your truth is subjective. If I feel that way, then that's my business. The way you feel, that's your truth. And this is what we've lived under for a long time now as I've been growing up. And the Bible says that truth is not subjective, but the Bible says that truth is objective. The Bible says that God is truth. 
That God makes the rules. That God sets the boundaries. That everything that God... That it's not based on your feelings because your feelings after the fall vacillate. That means they go everywhere. And so you need boundaries and you need God and you need truth to come back and tell fallen man, hey, you're out of whack. You may feel that way, but that's not truth. And so truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. God is truth and God reveals truth and He reveals truth from His Word. This is absolute. I don't care what you've been told. One day you'll know it. And so when you don't like a preacher screaming at you anymore and preaching truth, saying, I won't go to any more baby dedications, that's for sure. Then you suppress the truth. It's like this. When you... When you do, we suppress it. We don't like what, what is right. We don't like what is wrong. See, the problem is not that the church doesn't talk about this. Because if you come to me, we're going to talk about it. We're going to counsel about it. I counsel with people all the time. We, we're going to talk about it. We're going to counsel. The problem is not that the church doesn't talk about it. The problem is people keep coming back wanting us to change what we say. When you finally tell me what I want to hear... Then you got it. But we're not going to change what this book says. We're going to keep saying what the book says about this subject. So let me show you what the word in Greek means. To suppress. It means this. It means to prevent someone from exercising or something from exercising authority over you. You don't want God or the word of God to exercise authority over your sexuality. Because you feel you ought to have the right to do what you want to do. And if it feels good... Do it. It's like this. It's like walking down a beach and two people are fighting by the edge of the beach. Right by the water. One is truth and the other Tom is named lie. And I don't like that truth guy because he's, he, he tells me things. He, he suppresses my fun and tells me things that I don't like and I don't want to do. But lie lets me do what I want to do. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to align myself with lie against the truth. And I'm going to grab truth by the neck. And I'm going to drag truth down into the water with lie. And I'm going to push truth underneath the water until truth can't breathe anymore. And until I can't hear it anymore. And then it will be dead. And I have just suppressed truth. And that's what we've done. That's what mankind has done. And so after we, do, after we suppress the truth of God's word, we rob truth of, of its power, we seek to destroy it. The next natural thing that happens is God begins to give them over, their feudal minds over. And people can't understand or recognize reality anymore. And that's why we got crazy people standing up on television today and saying things like, we ought to abolish the police. And that's why we've got people saying we ought to let every criminal out of jail because, yeah, that seems like a brilliant idea because if we let every criminal out of jail, there will be no more murder, there will be no more speeding, there will be no robbery, there will be no more rape, there will be no more incest. That would just solve the problem, wouldn't it? 
futile. They can't think anymore. Futility. That's why people getting up and confused and saying, my name is not Brad anymore. I identify as Brenda. Futility. He gives them suppression of the truth because see what we do, we've catered to it. Well, if they feel that way, then we need to let them be that way. Rather than give your kids the truth. Dear God, give your kids the truth. Don't suppress the truth. Counsel them. Love them. Walk them through the truth. But we've got, we can't suppress it because what happens when you suppress it is you tre- create a new God. And what we've created in this nation is a God of money and a God of sex. Right? I mean, we even brought it in the church. It's called the prosperity gospel. Worship health. Worship wealth. Worship yourself. Feel good. To, you know, create uh, uh, churches where we cater to you. Everything's about you. 15-minute sermons. Nobody yelling at you. Nobody digging into your flesh like this guy today. Just go have a cup of coffee, feel good, and go home. Check your religious box. We remove God from the picture. And the litmus test to find out whether Jesus is Lord is what we do with our sex and sexuality. You say, that, that's, a little, that's a little out there, Brad. No, let me prove it. You remember in the book of Acts when the, when the Gentiles started coming into the church? You remember it was a Jewish church? And, the, and in the book of Acts, do you remember when the Gentiles started coming in? They had a problem, Joe. Man, we circumcise. We do the law. We do all these other things. They had this problem with these Gentiles coming in. These lawless, ruthless Gentiles coming in to, to, to Jesus Christ and finding this new faith and freedom in Jesus Christ. So they went to, got together. What should we tell them to do? What should we do with these guys? Do we, do we make them get circumcised? Do we make them do this law or that law? Here's what they, they came up with. Two solutions. Don't eat anything sacrificed to idols and flee fornication. They were basically saying, if you want to know Jesus as the Lord of your life, flee all idolatry and make him Lord even of your sexuality. And that's what Gentiles came to faith, what they told them to do. God created sex for one man and one woman. That is to be entered into a God-approved covenant called marriage. So that the two through sex and that experience can become united together. In other words, it builds a bridge of intimacy and trust between she and I like no other. I mean that we, because of it, I will share my deepest dreams with her. And because of it, I will share with her where I am struggling. It creates this bridge. It creates this oneness that nothing else, the two shall become one. It builds the bridge of intimacy right there within the confines of marriage. That's what happens. The two actually become one. Mark 10 and 6. Let's look at the design from marriage. Look at what it says, or design from creation. Listen to this. But from the beginning of creation. We're talking about the very beginning before the fall of man. Listen to what he says. From the beginning of creation, before the fall ever happened in the universe, God made them, made them. 
made them, male and female. No, you were made by design by God, even your sexuality. And he made Brenda a female. And he made Raymond a male. He, the designer knew what he was doing when he did this. And he made Meredith and formed her in her mother's womb perfectly. And he made her female. And so he gives us these two genders that he makes them. And then look at verse 7. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. He, he tells us the design of the family. It's a father and a mother. Not a father and a father. Not a mother and a mother. But he even tells us the design of the family before the fall. It's a father and a mother. That's the family unit. And so a man will leave his father and mother. And the two shall join together. And the two shall become one flesh. And they'll no longer be two, but they'll be one. And sex solidifies that union and it empowers it. But not any sex outside of the covenant of marriage is forbidden. All sex outside of the covenant of marriage is forbidden. Let me say it again. Let me say it till they take me off the internet. All sex outside of the covenant of marriage is forbidden. I'm sorry. I didn't write that. You're talking to a guy that struggled with pornography his whole life. I wouldn't write that. You're talking about a sex-crazed addict, man, right here you're looking at one time, my former life. I didn't like that any more than you liked it. Sex solidifies this union, it empowers it, but sex, not just intercourse, outside of the co- Sex, not just intercourse, outside of the covenant of marriage is forbidden by God. It doesn't matter if you love the person. For 20 years, 3 years, it doesn't make any difference. It's forbidden according to the creative order that God set into place. If you want me to be your Lord, then you cannot participate in this outside of the covenant of marriage. Let me show you what Paul did. There's a remedy for that, parents. We, we hate this today. I don't know why we speak against it. I'm so glad my kids got married and got married young. I love y'all. I'm so glad y'all came along and that God put you in my boy's life. Because here's what Paul said. Here's how far Paul took it. Paul said, if there's any man in this congregation who is not acting appropriate towards a virgin, that means a single lady in this church, you know what he ought to do? The two of them ought to get married so they can do it. No, that's what Paul says in your Bible. He's saying, if you got a craving so bad as a young man, and you can't curb that craving, and you can't stay single, he says, then there's a solution. It's called marriage. And you need to find a a good young lady, and you need to court her, and then you need to ask her hand in marriage and her father's hand, and then you need to marry her, and then you can can, uh, participate in this beautiful act that God uh, has. So he says, if you can't control it, then then do that. Let me give you a few. I'm going to hurry, because some of you are just in your seats thinking, is he ever going to be quiet? Let me give you the, the practices that are forbidden in the Word of God when it comes to sexuality. You ready? Number one, fornication. That's any sexual act between two people that are not married to each other. 
And there's all the scripture references. You're going to have New Testament and Old Testament scripture reference everywhere. God forbids that in the scriptures. I don't care what your new church tries to change. I'd like to change a lot of things in here too and take a pen knife too, but I can't. So I have to bring my flesh to submit to it and crucify it. Number two, adultery. That means you're in a marriage relationship and you decide you want to have sex outside with somebody else uh, besides your spouse or your mate. God says that is forbidden according to the way my creative design of marriage. Number three, polygamy. That means having multiple partners. You think this doesn't happen? My son works with, worked with somebody who has three people. Three wives or two wives. I don't remember. It's crazy. Keeps adding more. If you don't think that we have slid down a slippery slope that we can't come back from, we have. Once you open the door to go outside of this, it, there's no stopping what we'll do. Polygamy. That's multiple partners. I have three or four and I do with them what I want. Number four. In the scriptures, what God says is forbidden. This is where he's put boundaries, folks. I'm going to show you in a minute. You think these are restrictive and horrible and you cast them off. These are actually good for you. God's actually good. Look, number four, rape. That means if you force sex on any person, then you're in sin and God forbids it. Number five, incest. That's sleeping with or having sex with a family member. And we have a whole industry of porn right now, if you can believe it, that is dedicated to that right there. No, I'm serious. Number six, homosexuality. God speaks about it in the Old Testament. He speaks about it in the New Testament. A lot of people take Romans 1 and they'll try to say, well, that just means outside of a loving, committed Marriage or relationship, relationship. If we get married and we're only with one partner, then we're okay. Well, 1 Corinthians 6.9 says differently. Because Paul goes on to write in this, and he actually lists in that sexual immorality, which means any type of sex outside of marriage. And then he adds to the list homosexuality. So he distinguishes the two. Okay, again, I didn't write this. God wrote this. If you're mad at somebody, send your emails to Daniel at Brookside or Caleb at Brookside. <laughs> Number seven. You think this is right here? I was. I, I, you can tell I've been working out, can't you? My wife has taken me to the gym. And uh, I, I'm just appalled at uh, young people and the filth coming out of their mouth and I, and I heard this very thing in a locker room them laughing and, and celebrating this very thing right here just a couple of days ago young, young boys in a locker room so if you don't think this kind of stuff happens it's happening Bestiality is forbidden by God. It's not, as, it, it's not as uncommon as you think. Number eight, prostitution is forbidding in the Bible by God. Number nine, sexual immorality. That's where we get the Greek word pornea. 
That's the Greek word pornea, which we get the word pornography. It's where you feed on any type of sex, even visually. That means rated R movies. That means XXX sites. That means anywhere where you're feeding on sex. Number 10, pagan sexual activity. These are all against my created design, God says. You can't serve me as Lord and serve those two. America. You can't have your cake and eat it too. This is not good for you. This is going to destroy you. Brad, continuing to look at pornography is going to destroy this. It's 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 going to hurt you. So I know I have people here who disagree with everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on with the baby dedication. Get me out of here. I, I, I don't believe you. And a lot of people on, on there that probably don't believe me. Aren't we as Christians supposed to be loving? Aren't we supposed to be tolerant? Aren't, aren't, aren't we supposed to be uh, celebrate with these people, love and their lifestyles? Aren't we supposed to, if two people decide, if a guy comes home and he's tired after a day and he's single, shouldn't he be able to come home and plop down and look at a little pornography and it not hurt anybody else? Shouldn't two people that love despite what their, what their gender is, shouldn't they be able to get together and, and, and be together in a committed, loving relationship? Well, the problem with what we've done is we've taken this word love and we've taken this to word tolerance and we made them synonyms when in the Bible they're really antonyms. Okay, and let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. Tolerance, most of the time used in Scripture, is used to describe somebody's lifestyle choice or some type of issue that's going on inside the church, in a, and it's always in a negative sense, almost always God rebuking. And I'll give you an example of that. Look on the screen, Revelations 2.20. Listen to what he says. But I have this against you, he's talking to the church, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. What were the two things that proved the lordship of Jesus Christ over the Gentiles' life? Don't eat food sacrificed to idols and flee sexual immorality. But guess what? The church is tolerating it because it's the loving thing to do. And he said, and it's destroying my people's lives. Your toleration of it is, and your not preaching messages like this and telling your children and passing it down from generation to generation and not standing up, you're destroying people's lives. You're allowing it to persist and not standing up against it. So how do we find the courage and the strength? I'm closing, I promise. And the power to surrender our sexuality to the Word of God. Say, well, that's fine, Brother Brad. You, you know, you've told me God's boundaries. You've told me God's design. You told me what's permissible and what's not permissible. That's all good and fine. But how in the world do I surrender this to God? Because I know people, folks. I, I have minister friends. I have been with minister friends crying their eyeballs out. Because they have homosexual tendencies. And it's real. And it's real. 
And they are crying and they want God and they want to serve God, but they battle this thing. There are people today that are so confused over their gender because we've told them to be subjective and not objective and just go on and what if it feels like that, then do it. That's your truth and that's what you believe and that's your absolute. And we've told them to go into these things and now there really is a lot of bondage and a lot of things. I was bound by pornography, man. I couldn't get out. I loved Jesus. I'd come to be saved and I loved Jesus, but I hated this thing. I would do it and then I'd feel guilty. Then I'd do it and I'd feel guilty and I wanted God, but this thing was pulling me back into it how do we get to a place of victory because that's what really matters right listen to what Sinclair Ferguson said he wrote this and he said this he said here in a book he said here's what Genesis 3 tells us in verse 1 the serpent says that God had forbidden them from eating the fruit of any of the trees in the garden which he had not Then in Genesis 3, 5, the serpent argues that disobedience to God would be liberating, which it was not. Nevertheless, humanity believed the serpent and the spiritual poison. This lie of the serpent passed deeply into us with the assertion that God was in fact restrictive, self-absorbed, selfish, and that he could not be trusted with the best interests of our hearts and our lives. And that's exactly what I thought as a young teenager who wanted to sow my wild oats and do whatever I wanted to do. I believed the lie that was injected by Satan. He's just being restrictive to you. He's just, he's unfair. He's unkind. He just wants to ruin your fun. And all of these things begin to seep into my heart. And here's what he went on to write. If we obeyed him fully, the serpent implied that we would be miserable. Ferguson writes, the lie was an insult on both his generosity and his integrity. Neither his character nor his words were to be trusted. This is in fact a lie which sinners have believed ever since. The lie of the not to be trusted because he does not love me, false follower. This lie has entered the bloodstream of the human race as the default heart condition deep in the human psyche. In other words, now the bottom line of our souls, whether we follow God's law or not, human beings do not trust God's good will towards them. God doesn't have my best interest. I can think outside of this. Did God really say He just doesn't want you to know all that he knows and do all that he's able to do. And what happens is we don't think God actually cares about us. We don't really understand that God created these rules and these boundaries. Not because he's mean, but because he's good. And now that poison has seeped down into the sin nature of mankind. And we have believed a lie. So what is the remedy? The remedy, my friend, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of the gospel. It is that he created these rules. Man broke these rules. And even though we broke these rules, he still left heaven and came down to us to redeem and save us. Even from the wrath that was to come upon us. 
The wrath of God's being revealed against this kind of behavior. And God says, I tell you what, I don't care. They broke it. I'm still going to come down and love them anyway. I'm still going to die for them. I'm still going to take their place. I'm still going to ransom and rescue those who want to know me and be redeemed by me. And that's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. And it is what will cause us to lose the lie of this poison. Because it's what God was wrestling with in the garden. Jesus is in the garden. And he's saying, oh God, let this cup of wrath pass from me. I don't want to have to drink all the dregs of what humanity has done. But And then he went to go back and he looked at those that were huddled over there and they're supposed to be praying, but they can't even pray for one hour. They can't even do it. They're lawbreakers. They're covenant breakers. They're liars. They're deceivers. They're connivers. They can't even stay awake one hour. And he comes back again and again. God, if you could take this from me, don't let me have to do it but he comes back and he says there's no way they're going to be able to do it so nevertheless not my will but your will be done that's what heals the lie that God's boundaries are bad Because any God that will do that for me, I can trust Him with my money. I can trust Him with my sexuality. I can trust Him that what He says about my sex, about my gender, about everything, I want to trust my whole life to that God. Any God that would leave the portals of heaven, knowing I'm a sinner, that yet while I was yet a sinner, that Christ would die for me, that Christ would give His life for Brad, the guy who fornicated, the guy who stole, even when he had money and didn't need to steal, the guy who did all kinds of, the guy who had premarital sex, the guy who did all these things, folks. And he came to rescue me from the curse of sin and from the wrath to come. And that's what broke the lie of the poison in my life. And I said, God, I can trust you. All to Jesus, I surrender. That's what broke it for you, Oscar, with the drugs. These boundaries that are, I can trust you. If you say these things need to go, they're going. I'm finding my life and fulfillment in you, Jesus. So, Father, when we begin to meditate on the gospel, when we begin to meditate on the gospel, it begins to penetrate our heart and it heals the poison. And God, I pray that there's some here today, God, That the gospel would penetrate their heart. That they would know even though we've sinned and we have all. This is not picking on one of those places in that God and those things that God forbids with sexuality. Because we're all guilty of all of them. We have all broken one of those. Everybody in this room has broken one of those. At some point in our life we've struggled in one of those areas. And yet God... You came. You paid the ultimate price and the ultimate penalty for us to show us that you love us and that your word is not legalistic. Your laws are not to restrict us, but that they're, they're there to cause us to flourish, to cause humankind to flourish 
And God, you want people to flourish here today, God. You want them to be free. My life didn't flourish till I was free from sexual immorality, God. Struggled with it all my life. I was bound. But God, you, you, your rules really were, God, in the confines of marriage, there really is freedom. It really is, it really is joyous. It really is amazing. And it's awesome, God. And I thank you for it today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And God bless this congregation, Lord. I just pray that they will trust that you, God, are good and you're the giver of everything. And that, God, in order for their life, for you to be the Lord of their life, that even this part of their life has to belong to you, God. And so we give this over, our sexuality, to you today, Father. And if there's somebody here who, God, is in shame because of things that have happened, God, I pray, God, that you would, they would know they can be forgiven. God, forgiven for whatever. God, for anything, God. Lord, I'm talking for pornography. I'm talking for abortion. I'm talking for, God, a homosexual lifestyle. I'm talking anything, God. Lord, there is forgiveness, and there is mercy, and there is grace, and there is help. And, God, with you, and we just thank you. We thank you and we love you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.